calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. We want to let you know that we're putting a trigger warning on this episode because we're going to get into some heavy topics, some that may be upsetting for you. Check out our show notes. We'll give you a little bit more information about what you can expect. Thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome to Bitches on Comics, the podcast where bitches talk about comics. <laughs> I am <laughs> I am uh, one of the bitches here today, Craig Hale, and I am joined. I mean, technically, I'm the one joining, but I'm here. <laughs> I guess with technically Essie. that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Essie Fleetor, so happy to be here with you, Craig. Oh, you're such a delight. I can't believe I, I conned you into being on twice this spring. I cannot, I'm, I'm, I'm like, ha, 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 wait till the back half of the year. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, so I'm, I'm fucking delighted. Um, you know, we're here for a very special Pride episode. So happy Pride, everyone. We are so happy to have you with us. And we hope you're all celebrating in ways that make you feel loved and safe and cared for. It's a tough fucking world, but we love you and we believe in you. And we love each other and we believe in each other and we love our guest today. I am just straight up giddy. I cannot believe that we get to have the incredible Mario Cesar here with us today. Mario, thank you so much for joining us. We are just so pumped to have you and to get to talk to you about, I mean, you have this very long career in comics. You've been making comics since I think I read 2006. They've been publishing, not making, publishing yeah, since 2006. Nice. I bet you've been making them longer. Uh, but I'm just so happy to have you here with us today. And I was thinking maybe you could jump in and just introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Mario Cesar. I'm a cartoonist from Brazil. And like she said, I published comics since 2000, uh, 2006. A long time publishing comics. 
And I'm so excited to be here. I loved the name of the podcast, Beaches of Comics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's, you know, that's a ringing endorsement right there. We'll take it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's so fun to have you here. I know your your publishing team is actually who reached out to us. And we were just like, oh, yeah, you get us. You get us. Um, so we are just, you know, absolutely just I'm so excited. I'm just so happy. So, you know, I'd love to start talking a little bit about how you you became an artist, how you got into making comics uh, to sort of kick us off. Is is it something you've been doing? You know, I'll just share at the front for everybody. Typically, I do a little bit more research on folks. I tried Mario, but I don't speak any Portuguese. <laughs> and so I was very lost. Um, so <laughs> forgive okay, me for the intro okay. level question. But, you know, I'm excited to introduce you to our listeners. So how'd you get into comics? How'd you get into art? And, you know, where, where did this all begin? Well, I draw since I was a kid, but um, I graduated in graphic design here in Brazil. But then when I was in university, uh, what I really wanted to do was comics. So at the end of the course, I was leading into comics, and then I got a job at a publisher in Sao Paulo, uh, a publisher that published public comic books here in Brazil, and then that's how I got it. I started with some anthologies, and then I moved on to my solo career, and I'm publishing comics since 2006, uh, 2006. and my first solo comic I published in 2009, I think, and I haven't stopped since then. But I only started publishing comics with LGBTQ plus teams, in 2013, and I haven't stopped since then. Um, Blessed Cure is my first graphic novel that is being published in English, and I'm very excited for this. Yeah, well, we're we're excited too. Lucky us, I gotta say. You know, I, I read about, and I'm gonna mess up the name, so you'll you'll have to correct me, Mario. But I read about one of your comics, and I think this connects with what you were just saying about working with an LGBTQ plus team in 2013. Yes. That's when Saranda da Salidao came out. Is that yes? Right? Yes, that means like the translation would be the dance of loneliness. Um. It's five short stories about how we deal with love through life, like it, it starts with a story of a teenager discovering his sexuality, discovering his body, etc. And the final story is a story of a, like an old man losing the memories of the, the love of his life to Alzheimer. And, and I talk about how we deal with love through life, you know, through different stages of life. And it was my first comic book that I published with the uh, about, uh, that I talked about sexuality and sexual orientations, and it was actually the f I think it was the first comic book of uh, openly gay author here in Brazil to talk about these issues. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I read online. That's what I that at least that's what I pieced together. Yes. Again, it was working in translation, but you know, I'm I'm curious for you, what did it mean to to be putting out the first LGBTQ plus, you know, book by an LGBTQ plus author in comics? <laughs> I, I mean, 2013 feels pretty recent. I mean, I'm curious how you reflect yes, on that now. It's, it's only a, a decade ago, like ten years ago, and I was very very nervous to do it because. I have to, like, I was open about being gay to my friends, etc., but I was not open for, like, everyone, you know, about it. 
And when I decided to publish this comic, this was when I became secure enough of myself to, okay, I'm going to do this. My, my comics, they talk about, you know, day-to-day life and things like that. So at, at one point, I would have to talk about these issues because that's what I live. That's my life. I was very nervous to publish it, but when I said it to, to the publisher here in Brazil, they said, okay, right away, like, they, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Let's publish it. And the publisher didn't realize it was the first, <laughs> you know, they just published it because they thought it was good. And I, I, I liked it that so much, so much. They, it was even an issue for the publisher, but I already have like an established career when I did that. And I never deal with the, the homophobia, with the prejudice before. And when I did that, I started to, to deal with prejudice and homophobia in, in, in the comic book market, you know. Mm. But the response of the public was so good at the same time because people were, they wanted that kind of material that wasn't here, you know. And people connected with it so much. The, the response of the public was so good, so wonderful that it just gave me strength to keep going. Mm. Yeah, I think that's mm. often the case. Uh, you know, I think that there's so many times where there's this, you know, very loud, uh, you know, minority of people that, you know, allow their, you know, bigotry to just kind of spill over and it can feel like a very scary thing to do to put yourself out there and to put your work out there when yeah. it's around these themes. And mm-hmm. I think that when it comes down to it, like we've seen it time and time again, that, you know, regardless of how loud those voices are, there's always more people who are, you know, again, just generally decent human beings. And then also there are people who like want to hear those stories, who have had those experiences and that minority is, you know, again, very loud. So it can seem really scary, but I think that most of the time when it happens, it's like a breath of fresh air for a lot of people. A lot of people finally get to see something that they've wanted to see for a very long time and never really had a chance to. So I I think that that's really amazing. Yeah. One thing that like really gave me strength to do it, it was uh, another author here from Brazil called Laerte. He was already like a, a legend cartoonist legend here in Brazil. And almost at the same time, like 2012, 2013, he came out as a cross-dresser and then after that as a transgender woman. And it made like a huge impact here in Brazil because he he's very famous. He brought these conversations about gender to the mainstream media. And he's he was someone that I really already looked up to him. But after that, it was like even a bigger reference to me, and I feel really old because today a lot of a lot of other cartoonists and and they talk to me. Oh my God, the dance of Lonely has influenced me so much. I I I started doing comic books because of that, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> now I'm a reference. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, when you become the yeah when you become the inspiration instead of being inspired, yeah. you're like, oh wait. <laughs> It's good, but then, oh my God, I'm old. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go back to being younger. I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I'll take old. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, am I the queer elder? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my god! Instead of just being annoyed with the youth, you have to be like, right, 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 right. right. Now you're actually my help. Right, 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 right. I'm, I think you're doing great, sweetie. You just keep going. Um, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I would love to hear a little bit more about. You know, I, I don't know a ton about the comics community in Brazil, and I would love to hear a little bit more about. You know, you talked about finding inspiration, and then you know now becoming sort of the inspiration for other folks. I'm curious for you. You know what. What does it mean to be part of such a, a large community? I'm, again, I'm gathering from translation on your website. But, you know, I, I, I read a little bit about PopCon, which this is probably a good segue yes. to talk about, which is the all LGBTQ plus Comic Con that you you plan. And uh, I read yes. that in 2021, there was over 5,000 people at it. And so I would love to hear like, yes. you know, is that where you get a lot of your community? And then, of course, I just want to hear about PopCon, of course. <laughs> yeah, like, like. What I mean, when I started publishing comic books with these teams, uh, there was just me and some other few queer artists. But through the years, appeared like a lot of more queer authors. And it was in my mind, like, oh, we could do a comic con with just these people, you know, to, 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 to get together and his public with my uh, my audience with his audience and then it became bigger we started uh, we joined forces like you know to 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 present our comics to each other's audiences and, and make it bigger so this idea was in my mind for a really long time and then in 2018 I met Rafael which is my partner and we have this idea so to to, to make this comic home with queer authors and we took the idea, uh, we make it happen, you know. And uh, you, we were talking earlier here what POC means, because for you, it means people of color, right? Correct. But, yeah, but here in Brazil, POC is a slang for queer people. Mm. It comes from the noise that high heels make while walking. Oh, shut up. That's so cool. <laughs> Yes, but it was a slang that was used to offend feminine guys, travestites, sure. uh, uh, drag queens. But with the time, we have the, the, the we started like using the words that were used to offend exactly. us in, in affirmative way of our identities, right? Like you were yeah. doing here on bitches on comics, exactly. And then it became a slang for queer people in general today. Oh, I love where it comes from, even though it is, it was like obviously queer phobic, homophobic, and transphobic. I, I yeah. still, I love the the way that we always take what people try to make us ashamed of, right? And yes. we're like, yeah, you're right. I can rock fucking heels, and and you can't, so suck it, you know. And like that's cool. There's something very yes. proud in that for me. You know, like I'm gay, so what? That's not offense. <laughs> Ooh, right? not gonna offend me. Like, yeah, I'm gay or fag or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. I noticed, in fact. I actually knew this this fact that you're you're sharing with me. Um, yeah, where it's like, I, I already knew I was gay. Thanks. Um, you know, I'm curious too, like, did you expect there to be such a large reaction? I mean, if I read correctly, no. 2022 was only the second time you had it in person. And yeah. you had thousands of people come to PopCon. Yes. Tell me about that experience. Yes. Our first idea was to make a really small independent comic con, but when we first talk about it to the public about it, 
people went crazy. People went bananas about it. And it started spreading all over the, the community, all over the, the comic book community. And then people of you know other media started talking about it. And when we saw it was appearing like in television and things like that, <laughs> we were not expecting that. Wow. Uh, and companies like Twitter and Disney were, were reaching us to do TED Talks and things like that to them. And they're like, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. We were not expecting that at all. And the first PocCon we made was in 2019. And the line to get into it was like around the corner. It was so many people. The place was really small. We were not expecting that much people to come, you know, and, but it was a success. After that, we had like two years of pandemics. So we had to do it online. And last year we got back and we have like an audience of almost 5,000 people. It was incredible. It was like the best day of my life. This is when popcorn happens. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love that. And do you have plans for this year to have one? Yes, we always do it in, in June because it's the Pride Month. So we Woo-hoo! get more media, we get more attention because of that. It is easier to get you know, sponsors and things like that. And it works because we, in, in Sao Paulo, where it took place, uh, we have like the biggest LGBTQ plus parade of the world. Mm. I don't know about that. It's oh, that's like amazing. The biggest. Yeah. And it's in the same time, it's the same week that we do that. We Perfect. Take. So, yeah, because... All the tourists who are here in, in Sao Paulo, they don't have like uh, something for uh, like geek uh, and nerd audiences, you know? Ah. And then, oh, we are, we are taking that spot. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Wow, it's really cool hearing about PotCon. It, it, you know, not only is it like, okay, we're taking the word back. It's like, we're taking the nerd back and we're taking, you know, <laughs> we're taking pride. And I love yes. that. I, what a fun time. And yeah, I'm like, I need to take a trip to Brazil, apparently. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Craig, we got to get Please come to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to learn a little conversational Portuguese so we can like hang out, but we'll be there. Right, Craig? I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're going to love Brazil. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, this, this, unless, you know, Craig, I don't want to pull us from PotCon if you have another question about it. But if you don't, I think it's time to talk about Blessed Cure. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So Blessed Cure, a.k.a. Bendita Cura, which is also a badass name in either language for an incredibly intense and beautiful comic. Um, You know, I want to hear just a little bit about to start, like where the idea came from, because we have a long lifeline of the the work coming out to talk about and in translation and all those pieces. But before it was a webtoon, before anybody saw it, what was this story to you and, and, and where did it come from? Well, I had the idea for this comic book in 2013 <laughs> uh, because a congressman here in Brazil, he he assumed the presidency of a commission of human rights in our you know, Congress. And he, he's a very conservative pastor. And he tried to, to, to make it legal, like these uh, sexual reversion therapies, which are forbidden here in Brazil since 1999. And and before that, I never heard about it. I never heard about something like a gay cure or something like that. And 
I was horrified when I started researching about it, you know. I saw, like, oh, this is like a horror movie, how these things are happening today. And then I had the idea, oh, well, I can do a comic about it, about that. These are the, the issues that I want to talk about, the things that I want to talk about, the message that I want to spread. And then I started um, writing the script over the years, and then I started publishing it in 2017. And that's how it was born. It's all research. Many things there are, I, I found out in articles, documentaries, and things like that. Yeah, I think that uh, the... The research definitely shows. I, I I know that, you know, there's a, a history of that in America as well, as far as uh, conversion therapy. Uh, and so it's, it. I really like the use of, even though, you know, like SC said, you know, my Portuguese is uh, non-existent. So my ability to read the articles <laughs> was lacking, but the, the use of articles to kind of give uh, a frame for you know the time and to give context to the the different stages of this uh this kid's journey into you know manhood and you know you were talking about before you know in your previous comic like the themes of loneliness and mm-hmm. I think that it's like it's so well done nice. I, I had visceral reactions to you know multiple instances within the story of, you know, the religious persecution and, you know, being told that, uh, you know, it's for, you know, his own good and just parents who very clearly come from this place of, uh, you know, they're saying things like, oh, well, I would rather have him be, you know, a thief or, you know, <laughs> be, a, a, th- like, be a, a thug than like to then to be gay. And that is yes. like... It's so real and it's and it's it's wild how the themes that you present for, you know, masculinity and how they impact not only queer people, but like how they impact Acasio's mother and how they impact his relationship with his father and you know his further relationships down the line. Uh it's it's really it's it's heartbreaking and it's touching all at the same time. And the source of all of this like pain of like being told that like what you are is 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 being compared to a disease that needs to be cured. Uh mm-hmm. and that there's you know all of these people who have power over your life who are willing and able to put you through this uh, what essentially boils down to torture to do something that they're saying is you know out of love yeah well thank you for these words um that's kind of the message that i want to give with this comic book uh i want to say to people that you're not sick for not being straight for not being cisgender it's not a, a illness you know the, the world health organization said that years ago and we're still talking about it <laughs> and although it's it's uh, it's forbidden here in brazil by the law many churches they still practice these things as you know as a religious thing and they call it a freedom of speech which is actually freedom to to hate not freedom of speech and i'm i'm very touched by your words when you say that because that's exactly the message that I want to spread. One thing that a lot of people ask me is that if the story is autobiographical in some way, I say, no, it's all 
so made up. I, I it's based on on research, like I said. But there's a thing here and there that kind of there are things that I live like that phrase that you mentioned about the father saying that he rather have a son who is a thug than a, a father uh, a son who is gay. Uh, that's kind of something that I heard from my own father. You know, when I when I was younger. That phrase stuck in my mind and I put it there in the comic. Like I had to let it out. I heard that from my father. You'd rather have a son who's a thug than gay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause it's yeah, because I mean like like it's this idea of like, you know, masculinity of yeah. you know, hardness and 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 being able to uh, you know, being essentially emotionless. And so it's like, yeah. If uh, if uh, a man is supposed to be those things, then yeah, uh, you know, would rather have a you know angry and violent you know mm-hmm. you know son than have a son who is you know soft and 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 expresses their feelings and you know plays with dolls and hangs out with girls and all of that stuff. And so it, it's very indicative of that. Uh, that toxicity that comes along with that, with that brand of masculinity. And I, I really, um, you know, I was, I was thinking that before you said, uh, before you talked about how this story came to be, like, I was wondering if there was autobiographical element to it. And so, uh, and I think that that's because so many of those experiences are like universal in a sense to queer people and especially people who are like, you know, raised as boys and are gay and perceived as being, you know, more effeminate. Um, you know, I have that same experience of, you know, got to toughen up and mm-hmm. being, you know, forced to like play, you know, football because that's going to like toughen me up. And even though I like oh. hated it, you know, all of these things where it's just like all of these ways that are meant to put you into the place that you're supposed to be as a boy growing into a man. And so I, I really thought that, that a lot of that related on a, on a general level. And so uh, I think that that's probably where that comes from when people wonder that, because there is a lot of like very personal elements in this that come out and that feel like so lived in. And so it makes sense that people might wonder like, oh, is this, you know, is there something in here that's about you? And I feel like that's just an experience that a lot of us share. Yes, like I said, there is something here, something there that are there are things that I lived myself. But the most things I, I created based on things that I, I found out in my research. And I don't know if I could do something that personal. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to do it. Yeah, well, you know, I I had a a time and Craig actually wrote for me when I worked for a um, LGBTQ plus magazine. Um, But I'm going to be real. It was an LG magazine. I didn't didn't do very well there. Um, I had to leave because of it was very transphobic to work there. But now that we've gotten through the hard part, I got to edit a lot of very cool essays while working there. And there were a ton, actually, a ton from older gay men who lived a life almost exactly like Acasio's, where they, you know, they, they, they knew they were queer young. They wanted to be allowed to be who they were. Their father and their mother would not allow them that. They put them in conversion therapy in some cases. And in some cases, they just made it clear, you are, you are a boy, you love girls, get over it, get used to it. And 
it was heartbreaking in some ways reading those essays because, you know, these are sometimes men who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who are like, oh, and now I'm having my first relationship with a man. I was sleeping with men, but I wasn't having relationships. I wasn't connecting with people. And, you know, like, Everybody does their own thing. I don't think you have to be monogamous, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows. You listen to the podcast. You know the ethos. But it really did touch my heart that, you know, Acacio doesn't have to be a real person for everything in that in your book to be so, so real. And like Craig said, very lived in. And I think that for me, it just reflected this truth that I think, you know, is, is, is of actually even an older generation than, than all of us of what their experiences were like being queer in the 60s, being queer in, in you know, the 50s, the 70s, any of that really, and, and 80s, you know, today. Anyways, being queer is hard. But I really thought there was value in thinking about what does it take to survive as a gay man in a world that is hellbent on, on, on killing you, right? On, on killing you. How often does Acacio walk around and he just hears people being like, I wish we could kill these F words, you know? And it's like, damn, like, that's real. That's what my uncle grew up with. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he was born in the 60s and that's exactly what his his childhood was like. Like people spray painted mm-hmm. the F word on his like garage when he was a kid. And my mom was like a bruiser. So she kicked their asses. But, you know, it was like, that's the reality. And I think sometimes because, you know, I'm in, I'm in my mid 30s. Like I, we were talking about being like an older queer, you know, I'm an older queer in some ways. But in others, like I've had this life where I've just been working with a completely different framework the whole time, right? Like yes. people already threw, you know, I know the bricks weren't actually thrown, the metaphorical bricks, you know what I mean? People already were fired, were killed, were persecuted. And yes, it's go- it's ongoing, but I really do stand on a foundation that older LGBTQ plus people created for me, you know, and created for all of us. And when we, mm-hmm. when we don't tell the truth of what it took to survive that, it's easy to make blanket statements about gay men, frankly, who have to go in the closet to survive. And so I think it's mm-hmm. really powerful to have Blessed Cure to, to show us, like, it was hard. I mean, there were pages there, Mario, where it was just like, oh, my God, this kid is, like Craig said, literally being tortured. He's he's being yes. raped. He's being abused. He's being poisoned. He's being tor- He's being tortured. And that is, it's harrowing, but it's true, right? This is what happened. And so how do we, how do we hold a past, like, as LGBTQ plus people, right? Part of what we have is pain. Part of what we hold is this history of trying to be erased and and a huge part of what we have is the power and joy of of st- being just so fucking stubborn they can't erase us. And I I I see all of that in in this work and and I see all of that in Acacio's story of of becoming someone he wants to be and he's always wanted to yes. be. And that's just I don't know. I think I just wanted to add that, like, even if the story isn't autobiographical, which, like, you know, isn't your job. <laughs> You're a fiction creator. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, the true bits are true. And and for me, I'm seeing true for people very different even than the three of us, people who are maybe Acasio's age. And it's hard to survive this world. It's been hard to get to this point. And it's, you know, as a trans person, like, it's hard now, too. Um so I, I I don't know. I, I feel like as much as it's it's hard to put all that to the page and painful, I, I imagine it must have been painful to depict. It's certainly at points painful to read. It also made me so proud of what we continue to fight through and, and how how we find each other despite all of that. 
Yes, and we have to remember, like, this reality that we are talking about in the 60s, in the 70s, it's it's like that for queer people in many places around the world, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And we also, have, we also have to remember all the people who stood up against these things in the past and celebrate and honor them mm. because they created a better reality for us now. And we have to fight to create a better reality for the future generations. Like, Hell yeah. We can't take anything for granted, you know. Of everything we achieved over the years can disappear mm. like that. If you don't mm. care. Yeah, I mean, they're working on it here in the U.S. right now. So it's yeah, in Brazil absolutely. as well. I yeah. think it's something worldwide, you know, this conservative Absolutely. watching it in Europe, in the U.S. Yeah, the rise of fascism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things like, you know, like as he said, you know, as far as, you know, that stubbornness of, you know, I'm thinking of the the scene where uh, Ocasio is... is finally kind of like has like that moment of he's lived this life, you know, has had like a wife, has had kids, has been divorced. Like his wife has told him, I know what's going on and, you know, here's what's going on with me and I love you, but I can't be in this marriage anymore, living this lie with you and helping you to live this lie. And, you know, his, he's like talking with his son who's like older at this point. And after you know, his son is kind of like said, oh, well, like, I just want you to like be happy. Like, you know, mom seems happy. She has someone and you just seem really sad and lonely. And then that's like when, you know, Ocasio ends up like going to like a bar and then like meets this like trans woman. And he's like, ask her, you know, like, what is it like to be gay? And, you know, she like explains, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm not gay. I'm trans. You know, I am a woman, you know, with a penis, but I, uh, you know, I'm attracted to men. And so that I'm, I'm straight, but I'm trans. And then he asks, and then she's like, but my life is like a horror movie. You know, it's like, you know, like I, but I've got shit to do. I'm terrified every day, but I've like got to live my life. And, you know, at any point, like someone could, you know, I think she said like a Freddy Krueger, you know, could try is like come and attack me. (laughs) And, you know, but like, I got to like put on my face. I got to go out in the world and I got to like, because it's, better for me to live as who I want to be. It would be so much harder. Like the terror of not being myself is worse than the terror of facing, like of of shoving all of that down to try and fit into the world that tells me that they hate me. And so I, I really appreciate that, like that moment of like resiliency of like understanding of opening Acasio up to the world. And I, I'm pretty sure I've, uh, quoted this here before and I'm probably gonna mess up the quote now because I don't have it directly in front of me but the author Deshaun Harrison you know uh said something along the lines of you know to be openly queer is to uh value your happiness over your safety and it just like that's exactly what it is it's like if I I, I'm going to be happy I'm I'm going to have to live my life as my true self and in a world that hates me and for who I am simply for existing, that is a very unsafe thing to do. And so I have to decide, like, do I want to be happy while I have this time on earth? Or do I want to, like, shove all of that down and repress it in order to kind of, like, skate by? And it's it's really, it's really such a heartbreaking, but also, like, inspiring, you know, concept of, like, yeah, I'm going to live 
for myself and be who I am. And does that put a target on my back? Yes. But at the same time, like I can't do anything but be myself if I want to be happy. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there are so many stupid things. There are uh, people established for us even before we are born, you know, like how you have to do to be if you are a man or a woman, even the color that you use establish it right. before you are born. Like, Girls have to use pink and men have to use blue. That's so fucking stupid. And <laughs> yeah, like who said color has a gender? Mm-hmm. Is gender like what the fuck? Especially when that changes over time. Yeah, like, that changes so much over time. Yeah, like men like, used to wear dress and heels and was wigs. Very feminine. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's something that I discovered during my research. Because I found, I always thought that concept was like, you know, from medieval times, but no, it's like from the, the 1930s. It's like a hundred years old, this concept of men wearing blue and women wearing pink. It's very new, you know, and I was, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized that if you look at, at, at old paintings from the, the, the seventh century and etc., like... You will see pictures of boys wearing dresses, wearing painting dresses. Oh, yeah. Things like that. Yeah, like Napoleon just like in like his little yeah. heels. Like, uh-huh. Like, yes, honey. And like, men <laughs> with a lot of makeup and, and wigs. Like, yeah. you were drag queens. Men used to, to, to be drag queens before. Like, the, the nobles. Like, no. Yeah, that was like a whole thing. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, the, like, I think they still do it like in the UK. You know, like the judges have like the powdered wigs and all that kind of shit. And it's like all of these things where it's like, <laughs> yeah, these men are, yeah, they're just, this, this is drag. This is just drag. This is drag. <laughs> you got all dressed up and because- called up to come and sit here and judge people. Like, yeah, you're just, <laughs> you're just this is RuPaul's Drag Race. What are we talking about? <laughs> the library is open. Right. You better work, bitch. Yes. Like, please, be so serious right now. Like, it's ridiculous. You look so cute in your little dress with your little hat and your little, right. little wig. Yeah, you got cute. your little, like, yeah, you got your little court dress on. You got your little wig. You got your little gavel, your little tink, tink, tink. You do tink, a little you strut know? in, right? Yeah. You are, Craig, you are onto something. I think you just nailed it. All the pomp. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous, like, the things that are, like, and this is, like, you know, the whole thing about, like, this idea of, like, what makes a man and masculinity is, like, it's just, like, so nebulous that it can change at any point to fit whatever ideology is. And it's all about just, like, masculinity is not about what it is. It's about what it isn't. Like, that's the only thing that masculinity, and it's that, it's the same thing that, like, with whiteness, like whiteness is not like a culture in and of itself. The only thing like that mm-hmm. whiteness and masculinity have are what they are opposed to. And so that is just mm-hmm. like such a horrible way to live. Like it, it's just like such a ridiculous mindset to have of like, can't do this, can't be this, can't look like this. And also at the same time, like you're calling other people like weak and cowardly and, you know, like, you know, you're calling them all these derogatory things when it's like you're literally afraid to wear the things that you actually want to wear because society tells you that you're not supposed to do it. But I'm the coward. I'm weak. You know, you literally are afraid to, like, put on your, like, too much chapstick or eat a banana in a certain way or, you know, like all of those things that are just like, oh, yeah, like, well, I might look gay if I do that. And it's just like you 
are so afraid every day to do anything that might have people perceive you in a way that is not the like image of what you expect masculinity to be that you are just like terrified every day that 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 facade will like crack in some way and it's it's ridiculous <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> Hello, listeners. I know you love the pod. I know you're about it. You're like, wow, bitches on comics. What a bunch of awesome bitches who tend to talk about comics. But did you know there's a way you can support us? You can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash queerspec, and you'll get access to all of our BOC-related bonus material. That's interviews, special conversations, deep dives on the things we're enjoying at the moment. And access to our bonus material for all of our other projects, including Decoded Horror Channel, which if you're not listening, you need to tune into now, Decoded Horror Channel. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. But as part of Decoded Horror Channel, we're going to have special drink recipes available for you and the whole shebang. It's going to be a good time, and I hope you'll join us at patreon.com slash queerspec. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. We are, I love us, we're all like, and then this, and then this, and here we are in his. So I'm going to take us back to a couple things because I am vibing hard on this. So one thing that stood out to me is when we're talking about blue and pink, that's obviously very important to the art itself. That's the color scheme used for the bulk of the narrative outside of the prologue and epilogue, which are in full color, which is like, haha, of course they are, because the person's living their full life at that point. You're really good, mm-hmm. Mario. How dare you? Um, it's perfect, <laughs> and I love it. Uh, but I also noticed that the story is bookended with with trans women. and. You know, hearing you talk about the trans woman that you looked up to as a, a comic creator, you know, that makes sense to me. But, I, you know, for me, it's like, well, trans women are the whole backbone of our, our movements. They are who call us to account and who, you know, frequently are the ones that have experienced the most harassment and prejudice mm-hmm. and so have the most insight into how we can save ourselves and each other and make, frankly, the world a better place. So I, I just want to hear a little bit about, you know, the sort of the dual book ending uh, with, you know, trans women mm-hmm. and also with the colors and the epilogue and, and the prologue and epilogue. And then I'll, I want to hear about the the blue and pink and, and what you were playing with there. So you'll have, you take them whatever order you want, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> well, my first idea when I started drawing the book uh, was to make it full colored, like the, 
the epilogue and the prologue. But then um, a minister here of Bolsonaro said this word that boy have to wear blue, girls have to wear pink. And then I it clicked at me, like, okay, I have to do this color scheme, like to show Akasu is in is in a very <clears throat> a man's world. Everything related to masculinity is going to be blue, everything that's going to be related to femininity. It's going to be pink, and I, and I started to to play with this idea when I was, well, was doing the colors of the book, and it came out like that, and I preferred it a lot. Like, oh, that's great! I can play a lot of it with it with this concept. Yeah, you have this clever way of like, uh, at moments, it's like the uh, acacia will be in blue, but the backdrop will be in like a gradation of pink. And it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like his queerness is peeking through and it's trying to catch him. It's trying to get him. It's try. It's like, Hey, I'm over here. I'm, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next panel, maybe we go back to like straight up blue because now he's responded to that queerness he could feel in himself. And he's like, I know what to do. Clamp it down. So the colors really exactly. highlight all of that so well. Oh, thanks. But that, that was the idea. And when I put out him with uh, the cross-dressers and the drag queens and the, the transgender woman at the end, it's like, it's it's the time that he he, he released himself of all these concepts, you know, and started really living his life at his fullest. So and it's also inspired by Laerte, which is the cartoonist that I, I mentioned. Because he he started his transition when he was older. He was like at 60 years old when he started doing that. And so I kind of put that in the story as well. And I there's also a cameo from Laerte in, in the final chapter. Like it's a, a blonde woman sitting, talking to the other girl. And that's Laerte that I put there in the story. Oh. Like it's a homage to him. I love that. I love that homage (laughs) to her. That's really beautiful. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot about how trans women, trans femmes are y'all do, (laughs) y'all do like a lot of the work for us. Mm -hmm. They're the first people who suffer prejudice, you know, they can't hide who they are. And and you showed that it was really powerful in the section in the 80s when Acasio is, you know, sort of grappling with himself in a new decade as a new adult, let's Mm -hmm. say. And you know, there was the crackdown the cops were doing that was supposed to be on traffickers and dealers, but really who uh-huh. did they punish? Queer people, trans women, sex workers. And and mm-hmm. so often I think in 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 gay narratives, there at least in, in the US, and in, let's be clear, gay white narratives, I'll be very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sort of a a sanitizing. There's a like, okay, we're the respectable ones, we're the good ones. You can yeah. let us in. We're not going to hurt you. And I think there can be an erasure of trans women specifically, again, who are the foundation of our movement in in the U.S. specifically and and around the world. But also, I thought it was so powerful to show that actually that did matter to Acasio because Acasio could see like, oh, I'm, I'm like her. And like, if I, Mm -hmm. if I let myself be gay, like what, what happens next? It's something beautiful we can do in fiction. And I mean, we do it in real life too, but I think in fiction it really pays off where we show someone someone like them and give them the opportunity mm-hmm. to to be like, oh, I'm like you. I should fight for you. But what Acasio does is, oh, I'm like you. I should hurt myself. And I think that's a really fair reaction given like the abuse and torture he, is, he has gone through because of his queerness. 
But I guess it just felt very, again, going back to that historicity piece, it felt very connected to the the reality of, of what it meant to be queer at that time. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, again, trans women, thank you for putting so much on the line for yourself and, and, and for all of us. You know, it's, it's, there would be no pride without trans women. I'll say that. Yeah, of course. They, they're the ones who started fighting for us. Like if you see who started Stonewall, mm-hmm. it was a transgender woman, drag queens, black people, Latin people. They're the ones who, who the police was actually you know, going hard on them. So yeah. they were the ones who have to stood up and start fighting. And it's the same here in Brazil. The time what that scene that you talked about happened, it's in during the military dictatorship here in Brazil that persecuted a lot of LGBTQ plus people here. It was a really hard time for us. Like I I talk about in, in the book, um, there's there was this operation that the police uh, made in, in, in Sao Paulo downtown that was supposed to you know to arrest drug dealers and etc. But they they ended up uh, arresting just like drag queens, travestites, gay men who were on the streets just having a nighttime. They were arrested for over nothing over just being gay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we there's more conversation about more recently, but it's it's like it's you know it's the same problem when people want to remove trans people from the LGBTQ plus movement. It's the same mm-hmm. problem when you want to remove sex workers from the movement. It's like actually. These are often the people who are the front line. They're they're the people who mm-hmm. are most impacted by these regressive laws. And so so often when we have anti-sex work laws, right? What are they used to justify? Well, raping and beating women, A. Uh B, arresting trans women for being alive. And that is it's it's terrifying and it's why we have to have a more cohesive movement because it's easy to you know, it's easy to divide and conquer, but we have to be together mm-hmm. because we're unconquerable together, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we have also to to, to talk with, you know, the racial mov- movement, mm-hmm. with women's movement. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is connected. It's the same oppression that we're suffering from the same people. Yeah. <laughs> the enemy is the same in the end, you know? We have to join forces, not to, 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 to fight over... Just look at yourself and what are your issues? No, the issues that your brother are suffering, you have to fight for them too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We want a better world for everybody, you know? Like that's yeah, that exactly. that to me is is the LGBTQIA plus movement is like we we have to mm-hmm. be better for everyone. And that starts with listening to black trans women. <laughs> that's where it starts, <laughs> you know. Again, the people who are most impacted. Wow. I mean, you know, it's it, Blessed Cure is such a, it's a singular work is what I'll say. And, and, but it's had this really long life. So it started out as a webcomic and then it was, it was in Portuguese, right? And now it's been translated to English. I'd love to hear a little bit about how that process has gone and what you think of the, the new version. Oh, um, I started publishing on the internet. I published it in English uh, as well when I started. And it's oh, really I didn't funny realize. It started. Yeah, I published it in English in, uh, on Tapas and, and Webtoons, and it started reaching reaching other audiences. Like people from South Korea were commenting about it. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so crazy!" But I'm so happy that it, it's it's being published like in a book form to 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 English audiences, and it's also going to be pub- published in French 
soon this year. And oh my god, it's so exciting to have your work uh, reaching other audiences like that because it, I want people all over the world to connect with the story, to know they are not alone, mm. that they are not sick for not being straight, you know. Mm. <laughs> and that's very powerful. It moves me a lot. Mm. Well, and I think you're you're dead on that it's an imperative message. You know, as we were talking, I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I know some information about conver- conversion therapy in the United States, but I was like, you know what, I'll Google it. And uh, the most recent thing I, I saw said that it's it's still legal in 21 of the of our states. And yes. it's like, you know, when you look at the block, you're like, oh, right, that makes horrible sense, but it makes a kind of sense given the way the country is, uh, frankly, gerrymandered. And so it's it's... I feel a lot. I, w- I was actually bawling my eyes out earlier when you two, when the two of you were talking about uh, Craig. It was that quote you shared about, you know, like I, I, I could be dead for be- while I'm queer, or I could just like be dead alive. Uh, that's how I interpreted it, but you know, by like hiding my queerness and that living mm. horror movie piece. That that's it really touched me because that that is what it's like. And mm. while the book in some ways is. You know, it's historical, right? Because it's looking at this this long life of of Acasio. At the same time, I think it's very real and present, and I th- that's hard to do. But the best period pieces do, right? The best ones make you feel mm-hmm. like, okay, this is a historical thing that is also relevant today. I don't know. I just I'm really I'm really happy that it's being translated in and also being in print form. It is such a beautiful and unique comic, and I I think more people need to read it for exactly all the reasons you're describing. And and for me, it's partially like the visceral part. Craig, you really, you really touched my heart when you talked about having a visceral reaction to some parts, like when he's taking the medicine to, to make him sick, whenever he has, you know, gay urges, let's say, for, you know, to be mm-hmm. fair to the time. Um, he, you know, that was really, it made me sick to my stomach, you know? It made me feel ill. It made me it made me also feel very strongly of like, yeah, we're going to have to fight this at every fucking juncture. We are going to have to fight tooth and nail, like you were saying, Mario, for the things we have won. And I, I think as Craig and I are saying it, for the things we were losing too, right? Like we have to, these fights aren't going to go away. And books like Blessed Cure can remind us what's at stake if we're lucky enough not to have that active in our own lives. You know what I mean? For those of us who maybe haven't been forced into conversion therapy, it it can be really elucidating to to see what Acasio goes through and to know how wrong it is and to be like, right, this is happening here and now. And so we have to we have to keep fighting. Exactly. And we have to get into politics. I know a lot of people doesn't get into politics. Mm-hmm. They have they think that oh, it has nothing to do with my life. I'm not it's boring. I don't like it. I'm not gonna talk about it. But it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. So we you have to be aware of who we are. The US it's not like mandatory to vote, right? In no. Brazil it is. Mm. But we have to to bring this awareness to people like you have to get involved in politics because it affects everything in your life mm-hmm. and on, on, on the life of your beloved ones as well. Mm-hmm. You have to get involved. Mm-hmm. You have to pay attention to the things. You have to, to vote for people who are on our, our side so we can get this representation in the Congress and in the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, 
because it decides everything about our lives. No, we have to get involved into these things. I know it's boring for some people, or it's annoying, but it, we have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I, I think there was something you said earlier, Mario, that that really drove that home too, which is it, it's not just for us; it's also for who comes next. And yes. you know, the truth is, straight people have the the bulk of LGBTQ plus kids. You know. That's just numbers. We know how numbers work, <laughs> right? Like you're the ones baiting, you know, not that we aren't too, but you know, we have a lot more <laughs> challenges before us, let's say. Uh, some of us, you know, some of us are in relationships that are queer where we can have kids and more power to you. Very happy for you. But you know, the the reality is those are our kids too. I think sometimes people who are, you know, queer or not, who don't have kids are like, why do I have to care about what happens with kids? And I'm like, that's terrible. <laughs> Because they're people. Yeah. You should care what happens yeah. to yeah. people. Children are <laughs> human beings. And like, they're... what about if it's your son right? or your daughter yes. Like, yes. or your cousin or your uncle? Like, or what if it was know. you? What if you were in that kid's yeah. shoes, right? Like, would you want to be beaten and poisoned and have your transition made illegal? Because, oh no, you might dominate women's sports. Ugh. You know, like <laughs> these, these boogie, boogeymen that. They they use to hurt kids. I mean, I, I I've been, I feel like LGBTQ plus kids have been on my heart so much over the last few years because they're they're now also the other front line. They're the ones being attacked first, and some of that is, mm-hmm. you know, in the U.S. it's it's frankly the far right turning up the temperature of the water and seeing how long it'll take us to jump out. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. There's because they're, they're just going to move from kids to adults, and then they're just going to move from trans people to queer people, and they already are in many ways. Don't. It's nothing's linear, right? This is an all front attack. Um, but you know, we have to we have to care about these kids because they actually are our community. Do you know what I mean? Like that they're just yes. they don't have the power to be like, no, I won't go to church. You know what I mean? They they really don't. They have to go to these environments and hey, more power to the churches that are LGBTQ plus inclusive. Love you. I see you. I know a lot of queer pastors. Y'all are doing good work keep it up. But the other ones, you know, we don't, the kids, if you don't want to go, you don't, you don't get to say no. You know, if you want to not play football, you might not be allowed to not play football. The the list goes on and on. And so we have to, we have to preserve our history and we have to save our future. And, and those things are, that's what Blessed Cure does. I mean, Mario, it's so fucking incredible. Like to, Man, I was like in the middle and I was like, shit, is this a good book for pride? Oh God, I don't know. Am I going to, am I going to hurt everyone? And then I got to the end and I was like, yeah, this absolutely has to go in our pride. It has to, it has to. It's so, it makes me proud. I get to those, that, that epilogue and I, I see my community. I, I see our listeners. I see the LGBTQ plus folks that I love and, and, and fight for every day and know they, they fight for me too. And yeah. And that's, it sure ain't nothing. That's what I'll say. It really does matter to have this testament. And like, you know, no one no one can erase this, this book. This book is here and it's it, it's holding account for us and we can always come back to it and we can use it to, you know, I I've, was telling my wife, I was like, we're in the middle of moving. And I was like, once we move, I'm going to write you the <laughs> a syllabus of LGBTQ plus comics and we're going to, Blessed Cure's going on it. And she was like, please, like I, I haven't read enough. I want to know. Um, but I think that's that's what something we can do with, with our comics and our writing is preserve our history, even the parts that people want to pretend weren't so bad. 
You know, like that's something people are really into right now. It's really weird where they're like, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, he just wants to eradicate transgenderism. That doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And it's like, what? It actually is called genocide. That's straight up genocide. And people are like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It feels like you're overreacting. (laughs) And then it's like, well, look at Blessed Cure. Look at this. No one's fucking overreacting here, friends. The stakes are extremely high. (laughs) Well, there's something that was on my mind when I was creating this book was exactly about this that you just talked about. Uh, Because I didn't want to make another story of queer people being killed or people queer people being murdered. I want just to throw the hard truth in your face, but then I wanted to give like a hopeful ending to it. That was, uh, I was worried about when I was creating the book. Like, I don't want to make another tragic queer story because we have so many of that in movies and books and etc. And that was my goal, you know, and I'm, I'm really glad that um, it paid off. It worked. <laughs> yeah, I think it that there, there there is definitely a lot of uh, pain. And I think that that definitely goes along with living in the world that we do as a queer person. Mm-hmm. But I think that this also, it does share that and it shares that feeling of, you know, isolation. And also those moments where, you know, Ocasio like, you know, has, you know, some bright spots, even if they are transient. And so I think that, like, when he, you know, marries, like, Celia and they're kind of, like, together and I felt the love even though it was, like, strained for both of them. And Mm -hmm. I felt like when he finally, like, finds someone who loves him for, like, who he is and is understanding and, and accepting even before the epilogue, I feel like it was a moment that was very like tinged, like with, you know, it's that that bittersweet where like, yeah, there it is a it's it's a sad moment to have to, you know, dissolve a relationship in the way that it mm-hmm. currently exists. But knowing that like going forward, you can both actually still have each other for support. And so that was a really I really love that moment and I love that dynamic between Ocasio and Celia, you know, even if it wasn't like the perfect, you know, like marriage or, you know, like the perfect love story, which, you know, would be, uh, you know, very challenging <laughs> to do, like to, to achieve <laughs> considering like both of their histories, because, you know, they both come from places where, you know, you see like, you know, you get bits of like Celia's like background and you, we get like, of course, like Acasio's parents, like see like people that like kind of like have to, that are like developed in that way and are told, you know, all of these things about themselves for their entire life, regardless mm-hmm. of how they actually feel and know how they feel. Yeah, it's really hard to to find yourself and to find other people to connect with. And so it was nice that they were able to connect, uh, honestly, like connect through divorce. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Connected by divorce. <laughs> no, that moment was very emotional for me too, Craig. Like I, I was, I was like very nervous about what was going to happen when Celia figured it out. And Mm -hmm. there was just, there was so much gentleness there. And I don't know, I think that it means something that someone that loved him so much was able to see him better than he could see himself and accept him 
when he couldn't accept himself and couldn't believe he had any right to be accepted, right? That that God was mm. mad at him for who he was. And she was like, uh, I don't think so. You know, like that was just such a, a, a <laughs> tiny voice, right? Like that's how, that's another thing I was thinking about too is, is what you do with the colors where like the pink is these, these cracks in his blue facade, right? There's these cracks, mm-hmm. these moments where the pink sort of finds its way in. And I feel like Celia with her pink hair, you know, is such an important piece of that and bringing that mm-hmm. that to him. I didn't make that connection until just now. Mario, you're so good. <laughs> Damn. Damn. I'm going to have to go read it again right That's after you get <laughs> Well, I, you know, I have one one more question and then I'll, I'll see if Craig has any others. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the cover and the logo for Blessed Cure. Uh, were these mm. developed for uh, the the webcomic or are these original to the, the print version of the comic? Well, I published the printed version here in Brazil uh, originally in three volumes. Mm. That the, that cover is the cover of the second volume, and ah. it's my favorite cover. So I I used it for a, 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 an edition with the complete story. Mm. And the logo, I that's a new logo. I made it for the the complete version of the story, mm. which I had. I used the the, the feminine and masculine symbol mm-hmm. in the in the logo. It's so good. It's like a perfect logo. I was, I was just look. I, I looked oh, at it, art, and then I read it, and I was looking back at the cover, and I was like, "Damn, this like everything is here. <laughs> the whole story is on the cover, but you don't realize it until you finish. again, Mario. What the hell? You're so good." Uh, <laughs> oh, stop it! <laughs> Never. You can't make me it's my podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I just like was going back and looking at it now and I was like, oh yeah, that's wild. Like the it's like the blinders that are just like, yeah, like you will be like masculine, you will be like the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, that that's amazing. <laughs> uh I just yeah, I just love like some moments in the story, some like panels that really stood out for me, you know, was you know, because I was definitely like one of the kids that, you know, I played with dolls and like would braid their hair and you know, is told that, you know, dolls aren't for little boys. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I just love the moment where his dad is like, you know, why aren't you playing with the other boys? And he's like, they're boring. And it's like, yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Like, especially like that, like, again, talking about like that whole like masculinity and like, you know, there's been a lot of conversations around like mostly like cishet male friendships and how it's like they can go for like decades without ever like having a moment of like emotional connection and it, and it's just like, but they'll be like, yeah, this is my best friend, but like, couldn't tell you like anything like about their, you know, actual like personality other than like, oh yeah, we like sports and we watch them together all the time. And like, that's mm-hmm. our entire relationship. And yeah, we talk about like, oh, that hot woman over there. And so it's just like, yeah, it, it's like, yeah, so much of that dynamic is just so, limiting and when you're uh you know when like when the ideal quote unquote is to you know again just be this essentially unfeeling person then yeah that then those relationships like those those people are boring <laughs> those those those, those <laughs> situations are boring i'm like yeah no i don't want to do that exactly i was definitely one of like the i was definitely like the little boy who was like always like with like the girls and the women like when i was like you know would we go anywhere 
like, yeah, it was like, yeah, this is where like the entertaining things are happening. And we're not just like staring at a screen, watching like people throw a ball around. And the only thing happening, like the only conversation that's happening is like, you know, cheering for your team or, you know, booing against the other team. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That one really stood out for me. Also, I love the, the, there's just like brief moments of just like commentary on like, you know, like women's roles as well. So it's like, you know, um, you know, Acasio like, you know, loves to cook with his mom. And of course, like, you know, boys shouldn't be in the kitchen, but it's like, oh, well, like, you know, unless they're a chef and they're getting paid to do it, but it's like, how are you supposed to learn to cook if you're <laughs> never in a kitchen growing up? But like, it's, so it's just like all of these like conflicting things that are like in this ideology of, again, like masculinity and one of my favorite moments too, I mean, not favorite necessarily, but one of the ones that really stood out for me was like, oh yeah, women should marry as virgins, but men need to know things and have experience. And it's like, yeah. so if women are supposed to be virgins, men are supposed to be having sex, but not with each other. Who are they supposed to be having <laughs> sex with before marriage that are not the women who are supposed to be virgins? And not men. <laughs> it's just like it's like yeah, all like you like don't even people just like say these things and like believe these things without ever investigating any of the reasoning behind it. And it's just like if you take more than two seconds to think about it, like the entire thing falls apart. But like Wait, no one ever does sense. that. If like when it comes, are you to hitting it. yourself? Like. <laughs> Do you hear yourself, what you just said? It doesn't make sense at all. Just think about it. Exactly. Yeah, I I, I really... uh, Oh, and then also, like, the moment with... I believe it was, like, his aunt and uncle, and, uh, you know, his uncle is, like, talking about, oh, yeah, the good times of youth, and his aunt's like, oh, yeah, it was good for you. Uh Like... He's like, oh, yeah, like, well, I'm glad that I have you now. You know, you've opened my eyes. And she's like, I'll pretend I believe that. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, yeah, like, they know it's bullshit. Like, in some way, like, in some part of yourself, like, whether or not, like, you're willing to acknowledge it or willing to acknowledge how much of it is bullshit, Mm. like, you know inside of you that there's, like, something wrong with this. But you just, like have to again like those blinders you just have those blinders on and you just like keep going in the direction like going down the path that you're told that you're supposed to go down and i i I love how there's so many moments of that throughout this entire story that come through and show how damaging this is not just for like our main character and not just in terms of like being queer but it hurts like it hurts straight people it hurts men it hurts women like these Mm -hmm. ideas like don't just hurt like the people that they're, you know, targeted at, the ideas behind them also, like, hurt everyone. Yes. I had actually um, some straight friends of mine. They said they connected with this story because, oh, my God, my father is just like Acacia's father. Like, I, I felt all this pressure to be, like, the, 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 the man, you know, to be masculine, etc. And it was hard for them, too, at some point, that... Not in the same way, in the same level that queer people suffer, but it also affects straight people, cisgender people. They are also affected by the scenes. It's it's not just our problem; it's everyone's problem. I, I know that there, there's like this idea of like um, like within like Latin America of like machismo. Is that like something that also is in Brazil? Is there like a, a name or is like a specific 
Yeah, machismo we talk. Is it is it the know? same? Okay, yeah. Or misogyny. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's just like that. I didn't know if there was like if that was like the specific word for it, because I know that they're like, you know, the language is is yeah, machismo. slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, so it's uh yeah, that like that machismo, that macho, that like I quote unquote ideal of like the man's man, the the rugged, uh, you know, the the yeah, again, the stoic and unfeeling. Uh, I just watched like an entire video essay on essentially the Jedi and how they're pretty much like that same thing and how terrible that is for Star Wars. But that's a whole nother thing that um, I can uh, trap Essie into having me on. I was like, we'll have to have you back. We'll get into how the Jedi, you know, because I am very like, oh my God. I've had issues with the Jedis for a long time. I do. I do have issues with the Jedi. for so long. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. We'll do it. 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 But yeah, I, I love I love that, uh, and and I also just like I appreciate this. Like I, I like I said, like there were moments where I I haven't felt like this like visceral reaction to something in a while. Like you know, and and it's something that when I feel like when you're watching something, the the scene can kind of like pass by really quickly. Like if you're watching like television or movies, like it passes by in the time that you know it takes to you know those frames to pass by on screen. But like when you're reading something and you are like pulled in by it, it's like, it's like that time can be as long or as short as you make it. And so those moments like really just like hit when you like, when you're, when you're building to that and then you get to that moment and it, it hits you like, it it definitely just like had me, like I had to like, kind of like stand up, walk away, take a couple breaths and like come back because you know, like yeah the moment that Essie was talking about like you know with the pills in the bathroom um and like mm-hmm. them like you know injecting him with testosterone and you know and then later on doing like the electroshock um it was it was all just like yeah it it was it was depicted in a way that was just like so heartbreaking and you know his mother like spanking him and like all of those panels like just like going through and counting each of the hits like it it was just like it, all of that just like takes you in so well and you can spend forever on it if you wanted to like just like stare at the pages forever uh and and I just yeah I just really really appreciate this work I really really enjoyed it thanks it was really hard to 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 make those scenes too you know because like oh my god what am I drawing here <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say I was thinking about what Craig was saying of like reading it takes longer than watching a movie. But then I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, drawing it, like you were like living in that for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I took it like, I started writing in 2013. I started drawing it in 2016. And I ended up in 2020. It was four years drawing this comic book. So it was very intense. Can can I ask kind of maybe a, a, a... I don't know if it's a cheesy question, but it might be. No. How did you take care of yourself as a queer person while depicting that art? Like, did you take time away from it sometimes? Did you have a support system? I'm just curious about, because it was pretty fucking traumatic, I'm imagining. Yeah, I didn't, like, draw all the time. Sometimes I take a break, you know, I, I ended up a chapter, chapter, and then I, I take a pause, take a break, and then just... A few weeks later, I started drawing again. 
But I also have a very support system for myself. I have very close friends. When I was younger, I didn't have that because I lived with my parents and I wasn't like open about being gay to the world. And it was just when I became 30 years old that I finally came out of the closet, you know, and started living my gay life at its fullest. And now I have a lot of friends. I have uh, I live my life the way I want. And that's how I keep my mental life, by living my life as a gay man. I feel free now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we have to, right? Like, even if you're not... Mm-hmm drawing about homophobia or conversion therapy mm-hmm. like the world is we've been talking a lot about the this new rise of fascism and homophobia and transphobia and yes. queerphobia and we have to take care of ourselves and each other and i, I think community mm-hmm. is the only way we're gonna you know be able to make it yeah, i'm only able to make this kind of thing because i feel free i feel secure because if i wasn't i would be i would be afraid to do it you know uh, it would stop me from creating this comic, and that's it. Like, I I have to be myself. That's all I can do. Wow, Mario, I have I have so much to think about. I have I'm I I have to go read it again. Like right now, I'm gonna be like, hang up, <laughs> and I'm gonna go read Blessed Cure again because it is. It is such a gift to the world. I'm I'm so glad you made it, and thank you for the the personal toll it took. I mean, I, it's not nothing. So thank you for for putting that effort in for us, so we can all be connected through Acasio and through hope. You know, because it does end in hope. My heart mm-hmm. was very much buoyed by the the way it ends. Oh my gosh, Acasio mm-hmm. and those heels. Oh my gosh, at the end, <laughs> yeah. I can't. So sweet. Another bookend. Mario, you did it again. Because that's how it's... Oh, my God. I'm going to go read it again right now. I'm so upset. I'm, and it's just, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm mad happy. I'm mappy. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm in awe of your talents. I will... I will... I look forward to that. Uh, you know, is there anything else you have coming up on the horizon that you want to plug now? Anything you can talk about? I just want to, to, to say to all queer people who are listening to this that you're not alone. You are not sick for being gay, lesbian, or whatever, transgender, or whatever. And I hope you like my book. I hope you connect with the story. And I hope you show it to the people who really need to read this. People who have to, to open their minds about these issues. Mm. Mm. And if, Mario, if, if folks want to connect with you online, is there a website or social media where they can learn more about you? Yes, I am on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, the arroba is Mas Quemario. It's M-A-S underline Q-U-E underline Mario. Wonderful. And listeners, if you didn't have a pen, don't worry. Why would you? Uh, you can just hit the three but little dots next to the show title and that'll open up the show notes and I will have links to both Mario's Instagram and Twitter there as well as a link to Blessed Cure so you can pick up your copy if you haven't already. It is not to be missed. I think it's certainly one of the most powerful books of the year. And I uh, will be wow. getting my physical copy soon and bawling my eyes out more, which is always fun. Um, you know, Craig, oh my God, thank you for being here as a guest host. You are a fucking angel. Do you want to share your social media handles real quick so we can folks can learn more about you? Aww. 
Yeah, I am on uh, Twitter uh, at Catharticus, uh, just the word cathartic in the U.S. Uh, and I am on Instagram at Craig Narok. That's like Ragnarok, but Craig mm-hmm. and Narok. <laughs> I will also link to those. <laughs> yeah, that's everywhere I am. <laughs> Wonderful. And and Mario, I just want to thank you one more time. Uh you're, you know, you're calling in from Brazil. We really appreciate it. And we're just so this was such an amazing conversation. It was everything I could have hoped for and more. I am feeling very much uh connected to the world and each other. So thank you for being a piece of that, Craig. You have some of the most insightful questions. Every time we get to have you on, I am just blown away. So thank you for being here. Kate, thank you for making us sound good. I know you're going to have to cut sometimes. I lost it, but I did mute myself when I was weeping. So that should make it easier. Uh, Listeners, thanks for being here. You get the same joke as always. We could be here without you, but that would be awkward. So thank you for being here. So we're not just speaking into the void. Patrons, we love you. If you like what we're doing and you'd like to join us on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash queerspec. That is for all of our projects, including our narrative horror fiction project, Decoded Horror Channel, which we hope you'll check out. And thank you all so freaking much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye, everyone. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.